When God gives you a verse of scripture, you want, you want it to be an easy one. And this one's not an easy one. So bear with me as I try and, and communicate what he has been dealing with me about and that I feel that he wants to communicate to the church. Greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. That statement captivates our imagination to think of the miraculous that God wants to do through us. We immediately begin to think and imagine about the dead being raised and the sick being healed and the lame walking. We acknowledge these miracles to be great works. But these are not the greater works that Jesus was talking about. Because Jesus raised the dead and he healed diseases. And he said that we would do those things. He said, the works that I do shall you do also. But there is greater works than these. In the context of the scripture, Jesus is talking to his disciples, giving last minute instructions and encouragement before he's led away to his death. Unlike Jesus, the disciples have no idea what is about to happen. Judas has already left to go and do what he has set out to do. And the disciples are listening intently. But a lot of what Jesus is saying goes over their head. They think that tomorrow will be just like any other day. However, Jesus is doing his best to tell them that he won't always be with them physically, but that he will be with them as a comforter. He reaffirms their need to be in relationship with him, to stay connected with him. He gives them the analogy of the vine and the branches, and the branches need the vine to survive, to keep his words and the commandments as proof of their love for him. He reaffirms his identity and tries to prepare them for what is about to happen. We're not given insight to what the disciples thought of the statement, greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. They'd already been used in the working of miracles. In Luke 9 and 1 we read, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And in Mark 6 and 13 we read, And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. I find it interesting that they anointed with oil. Just as, James instruct, just as James instructed in James 5 and 14. It's not recorded in the Gospels that Jesus instructed them to do so, but the fact that they did and that James mentions it later on suggests to me that they were following the Lord's instructions. It's just a side note. There were some works that they could not do. They could not cast out the spirit of the lunatic that was sore vexed and was often thrown into the fire and into the water. But once they received the Holy Ghost, there wasn't anything they couldn't do. Anything they asked in Jesus' name, he said he would do it, and he did. The word of God is filled with great works that God has wrought since the beginning of time. Each one miraculous and extraordinary, and it has to be because God did it. From the beginning when he created the word, the earth sorry, with the spoken word, the works of God capture our attention and imagination. The word miracle is synonymous with the words like wonder, phenomenon, marvel and sensation. The Oxford Dictionary tells us that a miracle is an extraordinary and welcome event 
that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore attributed to, an, to a divine agency. Miracles are designed so that the laws of nature or science cannot explain them and they have to be attributed to God. He alone gets the glory. Miracles are the work of God, whether he does them on his own or he chooses someone to work through. We know the ministry of Jesus Christ was full of miracles. As we mentioned before, he healed disease. He gave the blind their sight, the lame strength in their legs and the deaf their hearing. He cast out demons sorry, and he walked on water. He calmed storms, he cursed fig trees and he disappeared from angry crowds. But the miraculous was only a part of what he actually came to do. Jesus could have set up his kingdom then and there and ruled forever, healing broken bodies and forgiving sin. But this is not what he'd come to do. Jesus had a mission, and that was to deal with the sin issue. Not just to forgive sin, but to wash its filthy stain from the souls of men. That's why we need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Our sins may be forgiven at repentance when he says, Go and sin no more. And yes, a change takes place. We have died to ourselves and we're determined to walk away from the old habits and life and, we, and the way we feel and what we like to do. And we walk towards God. But we carry the stain of sin with us. Our soul is still blemished by the effects of sin. Baptism in the name of Jesus is for the remission of sins. It wipes us clean. It removes the blemish and the stain from our soul. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus, you still carry that stain of sin around with you, even if you live a repentant life. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to die in our place and be the perfect sacrifice for every, every sin that was ever committed, looking back, and every sin that was ever committed, looking forward. He came that salvation would be, a ma would be made available to the whosoever would believe on him. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom the day he died, signifying that his presence would be available not to just the selected few, but to everyone. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. He not only fulfilled the pattern set out in the Old Testament law through the tabernacle plan, but he established a new way as he told the disciples he would. He told them that he was the way, the truth and the life and that no man could come to the Father but by him. The greater works that Jesus referred to were directly related to, the, to Jesus ascending into heaven because he had to go unto his Father. The, greatest, the greater works and the greatest miracle took place after his ascension. It took place when 120 people gathered in the upper room and suddenly there came a sound from heaven that sounded like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them something that looked like cloven tongues of fire and it sat up above their heads and they all began to speak in a language that they'd never learned as the Spirit of God enabled them. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the greatest miracle. Jesus living in us and through us. He is the comforter. He said he would come to us 
and he has. And through the Holy Ghost, we can accomplish the greater works than these. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. The word believeth here means to commit to, to put trust in. It's not just a mental acknowledgement, but it's a commitment that requires action. To believe in God is to commit to him and put trust in him. It means that you endeavor to to obey his word even when you don't understand. This kind of belief is the basis of a relationship with God. We are committed to him and we trust him explicitly. And together with the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we are given the ability not only to perform the works that Jesus did, but greater works than these. The disciples turned their world upside down. Jesus ruffled feathers. But these guys did greater works, just as Jesus said they would do. Empowered by the Holy Ghost, they were different. Yeah, it was great to have Jesus beside them, but it was greater to have him in them. They were bold and unafraid. But they finally understood what Jesus was trying to tell them, not only during his ministry, but in those last few hours that he'd been with them before he was betrayed. What was the greater work than these that they did when they were empowered by the Holy Ghost? They became able ministers to preach salvation, to preach the greatest miracle, God living in us. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6 tells us, Who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. There is no greater miracle than the work of the Holy Ghost and what he does in an individual life. From glory to glory, he changes us. If we allow him to work in us, we are different from the time he initially filled us. Over time, he chips sharp edges off and smooths over jagged parts. He replaces faulty thinking and renews our mind. The changes that take spiritually are seen on our physical bodies. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Jesus' primary concern is that of the state of our soul and not the comfort of our body. He still made provision for healing. By his stripes we are healed. But the greatest miracle is when he takes up residence in us through the gift of the Holy Ghost. When Philip went down to Samaria to preach, he did the works that Jesus did. He healed the sick and he cast out demons. He preached and many were baptized. Seeing the miraculous that Philip performed, Simon the sorcerer, his intention was intrigued. He, used, he had used witchcraft to bewitch the people of Samaria for some time and he promoted himself as being some great one. And the people of Samaria, from the least to the greatest, believed him to be the great power of God. So he stayed close to Philip and watched him work and heard him preach, preach, amazed at what he saw Philip do. But in response to the word that was preached, people came to be baptized and amongst them was Simon the sorcerer. He too believed and was baptized. Yet for all the miracles that took place, no one received the Holy Ghost. 
This was a major concern for Philip. God was working with him with signs and wonders and the people were responding, preaching to the preaching and repented and were baptized in Jesus' name. But that was not enough. To complete their birth, Philip did not take, they needed, sorry, they needed the Holy Ghost to complete their salvation, to complete their birth. Philip did not take this lightly and he felt it was urgent, so he sent for reinforcements. He sent for Peter and John, who when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Now when Simon saw that on that when they lay hands on the people, they received the Holy Ghost, as Philip had described in his preaching, that that would, that that would happen, that they would speak with other tongues, that the Spirit gave them utterance, he offered the apostles money, that he too could lay hands on people and they could receive the Holy Ghost. He had seen and even performed some pretty clever tricks in his time. He was amazed at the works that Philip did. And he wondered what his angle was. But what Peter and John were doing was greater than anything he'd ever seen before in his life. And he wanted this power. Imagine how much money he could make if he could do this. Simon the sorcerer was quickly um, provoked and told to repent because his, head was, because his heart was not right in the sight of God. The point I want to make here is that Simon recognised that something great was taking place. Of course, he just saw it from a profit-making angle and not for what it was. Could it be that we overlook the greatest miracle that has ever taken place? Because we would rather be impressed by physical healing than spiritual restoration. When we think about the greater works than these shall ye do, we seek spiritual giftings and miracles rather than seeking after and knowing God. The miraculous is a a byproduct of our relationship with God and not the main focus. The salvation of souls and the restoration of a relationship with God is God's focus and it should be ours. Jesus wants to be in communion and fellowship with humanity. He's interested in restoring us and others through us. He wants us to be a part of the greatest miracle, not only in receiving it for ourselves, but to impart it to others. Jesus doesn't want us to win souls. He wants us to make disciples. Broken lives are what he specializes in. He gently comes in and begins to work carefully and intentionally. He cleans us up and puts us back together as he intended for us to be. Paul said, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The greatest miracle, this treasure, is the Holy Ghost in these earthly bodies. That God would choose to dwell in us, that which is flawed and imperfect. And that he would find a way to be glorified by it. We need this truth to get a firm hold of us. Each time we come into the presence of God, it's the greatest miracle. Each time we feel his, move, his presence move on us and through us, it's all part of the greatest miracle ever. We can't comprehend it. We can't explain it. We can just experience it. 
Just like the blind man who received his sight, he couldn't explain how it happened and he didn't understand how it happened. All he knew was that once he was blind, but now he sees. Hallelujah. The problem is, is that we get distracted and caught up in today's problem that we forget the miracle that he did yesterday. The children of Israel were recipients of some rather remarkable works and miracles and yet we see their behavior towards God was unfavorable time and time again. God does something awesome and they're like, yay! And the next minute they're like, oh, there's no water. Oh, there's nothing to eat. Completely disconnected from what he'd already shown and done for them. Like each problem was too hard for God. God had already showed himself mighty by the works he did by Moses' hand to prove that he was with Moses and that he'd sent Moses not only to deliver from Egypt but to prove his power to Pharaoh who thought himself to be pretty special. What Pharaoh didn't know was that he was just a pawn on a chessboard. God raises up and God puts down. Yet even after their escape from Egypt, they panicked when the Egyptians followed hard after them and they were trapped with the ocean in front of them and the Egyptians behind them. But it's all a part of the plan God had. He wasn't just going to bring them out of Egypt. He, wasn't, he was set on delivering them out of the hand of the Egyptians forever. Moses held his staff out over the sea and it parted. And the children of Israel walked across on dry ground between two walls of water. The walls of water came crashing down only after the last Israelite had crossed and the last Egyptian had left the bank, wiping the Egyptian army out. What a worship service they followed. Oh, what victory and freedom they felt, how they rejoiced and how they danced. Yet three days later, they were complaining against Moses. There was no drinking water. I remember reading Exodus for myself for the first time when I was a teenager, reading about the Red Sea, bitter waters being sweet, manna from heaven every day, being led by a pillar of cloud that sheltered them from the hot sun by day and a pillar of fire at night and the whining and complaining. I especially remember feeling rather annoyed at the children of Israel. Probably not as annoyed as Moses got with them at times, but still thinking, how thick are these people? Surely, after being delivered miraculously from Egypt, seeing the sea stand up and walking across on what should have been wet, sloppy sand, but was packed down like a road for a quick cross, and seeing their enemies defeated, they would have never doubted God again. But they did. And, each, and after each miraculous act and encounter, they would forget and turn their hearts from God. Time and time again. By the end of Exodus, I'd had enough of them. And made bold statements like, if God ever did a miracle like that for me, I'd never doubt him again. Really? We forget ever so quickly whom it is that is taking residence up in us. We are a house of a treasure. That one who lives in us is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that lives in us. We are his temple. The spirit of the almighty God has taken up residence in us, not just to make us feel good, but to do a transforming work in us and to give us strength to overcome and live for him. 
we forget that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have the ability to touch heaven. We can come boldly into the presence of the almighty God and ask for help in our time of need. He has given unto us the spirit of adoption whereby we can call him Abba, Father. We get bogged down with the trivial. We have so many things distracting us that our focus on God and the things of God is not always what it should be. We don't spend enough time meditating on the greatest miracle and what he's done for us. The time spent in the house of God should not be the only time during the week that we think about or feel the Holy Ghost in us. The power of God desires to work in us and through us, but we have to get on the same page as him. We have to abandon our own agenda. Greater works than these shall you do. The greatest miracle is in us and we have access to it every day. God has given us the power to be witnesses. The word power is synonymous with influence and authority. The Holy Ghost in, in us cannot, does not only influence and change our lives if we allow him to, but he can impact the lives of those we come in contact with through us, thus making us witnesses. We have authority that has been invested in us. In John 14, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And from this point on, Jesus is emphasizing that relationship with him, telling them that if they loved him, they would keep his commandments. telling, Telling them about the vine. And without him, that they can do nothing. Without him, we cannot propagate the gospel effectively. Greater works can only be done through him and by connection with him. The Holy Ghost in our lives can only be effective if we continue to be connected to him. We have access to the greatest miracle that is ever taking place, but we have become complacent with him. The thought of God in us doesn't excite us like it should. Our focus and our mindsets need to change. We experience the Holy Ghost in a powerful way. I want it to impact me as if it was my sight being restored. Or my ears being unstopped. Or my legs being strengthened. I want it to impact me spiritually. That there's a physical change. That I can step out in boldness and do the things that Jesus said I would do. We need a revelation of what we have living within us. We are all familiar with the cards that you collect from time to time at Woolworths. Dinosaurs, Disney characters, Australian animals. You can purchase the folder to put your cards in and all the cards are numbered so they appear in order in your book. Each time you shop, as long as you spend enough money, you get cards to add to your collection. Well, we have the whole salvation collection. We have the complete set. Most of Christianity has bits. 
They're missing cards. Their book is not complete. Some are missing the Holy Ghost and some are missing repentance. Most of them are missing baptism in Jesus' name. It's like that card that's hard to come by. Some are missing a consecrated lifestyle. Some are missing the revelation of the oneness of God and other truths that make up the set. But we have the whole package and we take it for granted. I'm not suggesting that we should boast in this, no. But we should be looking for opportunities to direct an Apollos and to add to his understanding and give him the opportunity to collect all the cards. We need to shake ourselves and awake from our slumber. Each time Samson needed to get out of a situation he found himself in, he would shake himself and the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would be strengthened to overcome the battle that he was faced with. We need to shake ourselves. We need to stir up the gift that is in us. There needs to be something different about us. The glory of God needs to shine through us. We need to stop and meditate on the fact that we have the Spirit of God in us. That everything that Jesus discussed with his disciples is not just for them, but it's also for us today. We are the continuing story of the book of Acts. God is not finished. We need to put aside our preconceived ideas and seek the face of God. That he would reveal to us what he desires to do in us and to do through us. To hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and to us as individuals. Jesus is coming back. The trumpet of God shall sound. It's time to get on board with what God desires to do in these last days. The Holy Ghost in us will teach us to pray according to the will of God. The Holy Ghost in us will give us the ability that we need for whatever situation we find ourselves in. No matter what life throws at us, we have the spirit of the almighty God within us. Does that mean that everything in life will be smooth sailing? Nope. It may mean the road will be bumpy and rough, but he is with me. He was with Paul in the shipwreck. Did Paul get wet? Yes, he did. Did he feel seasick? Quite possibly. Was he jostled to and fro in the boat? Did he suffer? Yes and yes. Paul was on the boat as the waves crashed down and that thing split into pieces. He swallowed water and went down a few hundred times, no doubt. He did not get carried away to the shore by angels without a scratch. He went through what everyone else went through, but with the assurance that the Lord had given him that everyone was going to make it out alive. Did God leave him at any point during the storm? No, the angel of the Lord stood by him. What would happen if we changed the way we thought about our situations and our circumstances? What would happen if we tried to see them through God's point of view? What would happen if we tried, if we looked at them through the lens of the Holy Ghost? Would we see opportunities for God to work? Or would we see the, 
would we see the same impossible situations? Would we see opportunities for the Holy Ghost to grow us? Would we see opportunities to witness the marvelous works of God? The greater works and the miraculous Jesus performed are happening in our midst. People's lives are being transformed. It's happening quietly and over time. Some changes take place overnight, but perfection takes place over time. Don't discount the power of God working in you. Don't overlook the treasure that he has placed in your earthen vessel. We need a fresh revelation of what God is doing in us. And maybe we can then understand what he desires to do through us. God bless you.